0: Contextualizes what we talk about when we say Splice mid game, but irrespective of that, they've still clinched nine wins. They're still at the top of the table. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Skyler here. Today we're going to look at a composition called Vanguards. That's the leader that I wanted to see coming to the LEC stage. That's the leader that we saw all through European Masters. Welcome to Esports Odyssey
1: a podcast dedicated to making esports simpler by breaking it down and learning from the best. On this show, we talk to successful people from within the esports ecosystem to see what sets them apart from the rest of us. Today on the show, we've got Excoundrel, a famous commentator, mostly famous for his work in League of Legends, I would say, content creator, host... Widespread across multiple games, uh, two in the past, and I think we'll we'll go a little bit more into that in a
0: bit. Uh, welcome. Hi, Phil. Nice to see you. Nice to uh, nice to be talking with you. I'm uh, very happy to come on the podcast. As uh, me and me and Phil go back a long way, so it was uh, it was nice to sort of be able to join him on something like this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I'm uh, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I uh, we've known each other for quite some time now, but I don't think I've ever. Uh, really found out much about your story. I think I think it's it's always a little bit like this where people don't actually really tell tell people their life story, right? That's kind of frowned upon anyway.
0: I mean, uh, I guess it's just one of those industries where not many people ask, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, I don't often get asked. I, I, I get often asked about how I started in esports and, and what I did to become self-sufficient and make it a career, but uh, people don't really ask beyond that, you know. I think that's kind of the, the baseline that people talk about
1: yeah, 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 that makes sense. I think it's it's very important to take a look at um and this is where we go in a little bit uh deeper into people's pasts on this podcast, into what, what even got people into games, um what did people do in their childhoods? Because uh so far we've seen a lot of um a lot of similarities between between a lot of the people that work in this industry. So so let's let's actually start there. Let's start with your, your childhood. Uh what is to you what is your earliest memory of of actually playing games what were your first games
0: well obviously i was a 90s kid so my very early memories of that of um nintendo 64 uh i remember my dad brought it when we came home from karate one day and he was playing goldeneye on the nintendo 64 and that was our first console that we shared as a family so hmm. i've got very fond memories of uh goldeneye with my dad um, I remember playing Mario 64, and I remember for six years growing up, I had 119 out of 120 stars, and I did I couldn't for the life of me find the last star. Uh, and eventually, when I got to the age when I was using the internet and browsing the internet, I found out that you could get a star on the peach slide. And, the you know, the very first um, foyer, when you go into the castle, there's a little peach portrait that you can jump through and it goes to like a slide and you have to get to the end where well, you get an extra star for completing it in a certain time I never knew that and that was the last star that I needed to get to l- unlock the 120 stars on 64 uh, but other than that I used to watch my dad play uh, PC games like very early PC games I watched him play a lot of Commandos which is a really really awesome massively underrated uh, like I guess tactical wartime I love that series. Yeah, it's unbelievable. A really good series and often is forgotten, I think. But it was just a very, very, very good computer game. Um, I watched him play the early Tomb Raiders. I watched him play Medal of Honor Allied Assault. And I think Medal of Honor Allied Assault was about the point where I actually started to game myself. And that was my first online game, Medal of Honor Allied Assault, where I played competitively online as a (laughs) 13-year-old playing Medal of Honor Allied Assault. (sighs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, uh, I think I think that was actually pretty similar for me or a lot of people our age I would say. We we mm. all sort of started with Medal of Honor, Call of Duty, some CS, right? Some RTS. I think I think we were very uh, varied back in those days.
0: Yeah, there was a lot on the market. I think after Medal of Honor Allied Assault, the one game that occupied the majority of my early teenage years towards mid-teenage years was Diablo 2. That game occupied five six seven years of my life and i kept going back to it even when i was moving on to world of warcraft so i think um diablo 2 was probably the defining game of my of my early childhood just because of the amount of hours i put into it i mean i i just put hours and hours into diablo 2 lod really did and uh, i thoroughly 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 enjoyed playing it for, for for many years and it kind of stoked my love of arpg genre and rpg mm. genre in general because i moved on to world of warcraft which then probably took over the most of my life until my early 20s so I I essentially bunny hopped from Diablo into into World of Warcraft and and that and then World of Warcraft is as as it as it is an all-consuming game pretty much consumed Mm. the majority of my gaming life um, growing up as a teenager
1: fair enough yeah Um, I mean I I know I know obviously of your love of um, action RPGs a fellow um, Path of Exile player too. We're both
0: we're both Path of Exile players. Uh, my problem my problem with Path of Exile is I play like a new a new league religiously. I get a build that I like, and then I get bored. That's the that's the problem. I think the, I get overwhelmed. I, I know you're very slick at it, but I get overwhelmed with Path of Exile. There's, there are just too many mechanics to going on and to think about that I get. Mm. I get. I th- I'm one of those people that doesn't like to half-ass something. So that if you know, I end up trying to do delve, and I'm like, well, to get to a good level in delve is going to take me forever. So, yeah. so I so I just end up stopping and just not playing. Uh, even though I find builds that I really like and really love, I just because there is so much going on in Path of Exile now, I get like half-ass syndrome, where I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered.
1: And, and you know what I think. I think that's one of those things that's, that's very common for people that, that actually end up uh, working in, in esports in general. Most of us are, are like that, where we don't like to half-ass things, right? So, so when, it, when it comes to starting to play a new game, getting into a new game, it's always all or nothing, right?
0: Yeah, and also for me, getting into new games is a bit more complex because um by the way phil i don't hope you don't mind i'm actually eating a sausage every so often on the podcast i hope that's perfectly okay um i was hungry absolutely (laughs) um i often think about games for content now as well being a content creator so i actually find it hard Mm. to enjoy games and dedicate time to games because in the back of my mind i'm always saying well you could be playing tft and producing content or hmm. you could be you could be playing this game, which could be a new up and coming game for content and stuff like that. So I actually find it difficult to get into and spend a lot of time in a game just for fun these mm. days. And I actually find that it's very similar across the board, even with commentators and content creators, that it's difficult to enjoy games purely for fun because you have to you're always thinking about what can I do with this game? Is it worth me investing my time into this game or should I just hmm. stick to the games that I'm already having some success in?
1: I guess that's a, that's a nature and one of the struggles of uh, turning your your hobby and your passion into a job, right?
0: Absolutely. I think um, everyone always says to me, but, you know, this is the life. You, 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 you play games, you talk about games for a living, and I'm like, yeah, but I also mm. ruined my hobby in the process because now I no exactly. longer enjoy games at the same level that I did before. Like, I wish I could go back to the days of just playing World of Warcraft until 4 a.m., playing Diablo 2 bail runs until ridiculous times at night. But I can't. It's just not possible anymore because I'm always thinking about how I can turn my time in a game into something useful, be it time into a game to learn casting, you know, to, to learn the game for a casting potential or time to turn it into YouTube content um, or Twitch content or whatever. You know, it's 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 just very difficult to switch off from that now mm. because because the, the career tra- trajectory I've had.
1: And that's a that's a great segue. Actually, I want to I want to go back to your childhood in a second. Mm. But do you find that 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 is actually one of the biggest struggles of of the freelance uh, life? Kind of having to manage mm. your time and the fact that you always feel like you're you're wasting time if you're not doing something that's productive.
0: Yeah, I think to an extent. I mean, I could go into great depth about why freelance esports commentary is a complete minefield for most people, but. There is lots of factors, and definitely one of those. I mean, the whole reason I expanded into content creation, Phil, was because freelance esports commentary by itself was not sustaining me, and my brand was not big enough to, you know, competing with some of the bigger the bigger commentator brands in the world. So that's mm-hmm. why I went into content creation because I felt it could help improve my brand as a total. You know, now I've got sixty seven thousand subscribers, which is you know it's a good medium sized YouTube channel, and and that's helped me to no end in terms of my in terms of my brand and allowing me to be a bit more flexible in what I do. But you know, freelance esports commentary is hard because i started in league of legends and i still am in league of legends but in order to be a successful league of legends commentator you really have to work with riot and if you and if you want to work with Riot, you have to move to berlin and that's not not something that my life would support Mm. um so therefore i I kind of expanded into a multi-game caster but the problem with multi-game casting is that yes okay it's great experience i think you expand your skill set massively but you also unless you get very lucky i think you f- will find it difficult to build a solid brand because you're you're constantly fleeting with several communities rather than being engaged in one uh, hmm. which is one of the issues that i do find myself as a freelancer having
1: i'm sure it also becomes difficult especially with games that have the level of depth that you know league of legends dota csgo all those games have so much depth so much to learn that even the most dedicated of commentators usually you know uh, seem seem unknowledgeable about the game compared to a lot of the pro players, right? So I imagine that that only adds to that that difficulty, right?
0: Well, I used to be a color commentator in League of Legends. And for those of you that are unaware, there are two types of commentators. There is a play-by-play and a color. The color is supposed to add, in inverted commas, color to the broadcast by providing background information, analysis, that kind of stuff. So I used to be a color commentator for League of Legends. But two things happened. I wasn't going to work for Riot, so I couldn't dedicate all my time to League of Legends. So slowly... As the game evolved, I became less and less familiar with the high-level tactics. And second, mm. it is like impossible, I guess, on a, a on a knowledge basis and a, and, a, and a brand basis to compete with ex-pro players and ex-coaches who turn their hand to commentary. Because what kind of credibility do I have as a random who can talk well about mm. the game compared to a coach who coached one of the top teams in Europe? You know. Um, yep. So credibility is a massive issue when it comes to color commentary. So that's why now in League of Legends, I host. So I hosted the LEC last year and I do play-by-play where you don't need to be knowledgeable about the game. You just need to say things nicely about teamfights mm. and sound excited. Um, so that's why I made that move and and that's allowed me to be more flexible within League of Legends. But yeah, that's two reasons why I find it difficult as a color commentator to continue in League of Legends. because uh, it, you know, And I think it's only going to get worse with people who are endemic commentators rather than ex-pro players that are just quite charismatic on camera you know um so that's going to be some of the difficulties that i think that my particular industry will face as time goes on when players retire and want to do something can continue to be engaged most of them will go over to either content creation or some form of commentary or analysis and you are, unfortunately are just going to be usurped and it's there is almost no way for you to compete with the with the credibility that those guys provide to a broadcast over what you may bring mm. to a broadcast you know
1: makes sense that makes a lot of sense i think uh you know i think that that's that's already the transformation that that you've seen a lot of uh, a lot of games go through right uh, mm-hmm. i mean if you look at if you look at starcraft nowadays obviously starcraft isn't that active of a game anymore but basically the entirety of the talent pool there is is former players yeah um <laughs> uh, not just the not just the play-by-play commentators but actually all of them yeah um, it's
0: um it, it, I, think, I, I think a lot of early esports started that way but i do think that I do think that play-by-plays are a bit more protected than color commentators when it comes to that kind mm. of stuff. You know, it so. makes sense.
1: I mean, it's a it's a very different skill set, and it takes a long time to learn. And I mm. think you're you're obviously excellent at it. I, I feel like you're you're uh, commentating over this podcast right now. Um, so <laughs> um, I'll wind it's it down a, a bit. <laughs> it's, it's just that it's just that natural. It's a it's a natural thing that that I guess a a, a play-by-play commentator has to their. Uh, their tonation, their their way of speaking in general,
0: right? It's something that I had to learn pretty I mean mm. this is not something that came to me naturally. I went, I went back um, about a year ago I looked at some some casts of me when I was in university when I had just started. The monotony of my voice back then was just absolutely incredulous. It was just insane. like it, I like it was just so boring to listen to and I thought, wow, I have I've actually come on a long way. Not only mm. in just the way I speak in everyday life, but just my commentary skill and my ability to to be more engaging with the way that I say my words is just it's it's evolved to no end and i and i didn't I don't even know how it happened. I think it just came with the the constant exposure to good commentators the the feedback the um, the 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 constant need to evolve my craft, hmm. but yeah, it's not something that came naturally to me. I, I was very monotonous and very boring when I was about twenty one, uh, so it took about it took about six years to get to a point where I uh, I sound moderately interesting when I talk.
1: I mean, people argue about this a lot, but you know about the ten thousand hour rule, right? Yes, uh, I've you heard, need to I've put heard. ten thousand ten thousand hours into anything to get uh, to to become a master at it, and I think whilst a lot of people argue about it. It's it's obviously a good guideline. If you haven't put in that many hours, if you've only put in five hundred hours into doing something, it's unlikely you're actually as good as you'll 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 be basically, right?
0: Mm-hmm. I I think ten thousand is a completely arbitrary number, but I think the I think the actual r- rule or the actual. Um, I guess uh, story that comes with it is important like it's just about the fact that you almost to an extent that you should always look to continue to strive to improve your craft I don't and I think the 10,000 hours is is such like a it's like an almost like an arbitrary like unattainable figure because it's it's supposed to be in the situation where you should always be looking to improve your craft no one's ever going to be completely masterful you know in terms of what they do. So I kind of follow it more of more of a, not in a literal sense, but more of a more of like a a way of driving the way I think about my, my craft, you know, yep. just to never stop going at it. And I think that's I think that's always important with whatever you choose to try and be successful at.
1: Sure, absolutely. I mean, this this definitely applies to video games, right? Most people uh, that put in you know a 200 hours into a game might might think that. That's a lot of hours because it sounds like a lot of hours. But when it comes to competitive players, right? Uh, if you look at Dota, there's Dota players that have thirty thousand hours in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's always there's always more you can play, more you can learn. More I mean, can I do.
0: I think I've got four thousand hours in Path of Exile, and I thought that was a lot. So thirty thousand hours in in a Dota is just that that boggles my mind. It actually boggles my mind.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess some of the some of the earliest League of Legends players might be reaching that figure at, yeah, at yeah. this point too. Luckily, that client doesn't show you how many hours you've played.
0: <laughs> I think when I played WoW, I think one of the I think I had like a, a full year of playtime on WoW when I checked on one of my accounts after like the seven years that I'd spent on it. So I'd spent literally one seventh of my time over seventh year seven years logged into World of Warcraft in one way or another. Which <coughs> wow. Yeah, actually, just it's just like straight up makes me kind of sad, but also, you know, like it—it's just crazy how much time you can spend doing something if you really, really enjoy doing it.
1: Hmm. So that was that was earlier in your life, and this is uh, this is where we want to go back to actually. Hmm. Uh, before you got into gaming, or maybe during the same time that you got into gaming uh, throughout kind of your youth, uh, did you have any other um, major hobbies? Uh, was there anything else that you were doing besides video games?
0: Yeah, I played rugby to a semi-professional level. I played for the Eastern Counties, which is basically one of the regions in the UK. So I played rugby for a very long time. I then had a knee injury, so stopped it in, in university, but I really loved rugby. I played guitar, bass guitar and saxophone. I was grade eight saxophone. Really, really enjoyed that. Don't play it as much now again. It's just one of those hobbies that I just lost over time. But yeah, I had quite a lot. I had quite a lot going on outside of gaming. I think Something that I've always been, although I definitely didn't practice this as a kid, I always, always, always tell people that the, the gaming should be enjoyed like any other hobby and enjoyed responsibly and part of a balanced lifestyle. And mm. part of that is part of that is exercise. I definitely did not do this as a child, so I'm I'm not exactly, you know, when I was a teenager, I was spending eight hours a day when I came back from from home playing World of Warcraft. So I can't really uh, say that I followed it when I was a kid. But as I've got older and mm. matured, I've realised that it's not something that you can solely do. 100% of the time, because it, it isn't isn't—it isn't the most healthy hobby in the world. I think for the sake of getting gaming to be appealing and less targeted by mainstream media, we should be promoting it as a way to, you know, trying to enjoy it as part of some sort of balanced life. And, that, you know, I did have other hobbies as a kid, so it, was, it wasn't it was like gaming was, was all-encompassing for me.
1: I agree. I think if you look at any professional player in most games, y- you won't see them play, on average, more than eight hours of their game a day either, right? And that's their job. So most of the time, they'll have a very, very balanced life outside of the game. We'd like to thank our partners at Elgato, without whom this podcast wouldn't be possible. They provided much of the equipment used for all of our recording sessions. Elgato is the leading provider of hardware and software for content creators, leveraging decades of experience to develop widely accessible products that empower all creators to produce high-quality, professional content. Elgato has provided us with a reliable 4K 60 Pro capture card, professional key light lighting, and a customizable stream deck, enabling us to pull off pretty much anything we can think of. Head over to elgato.com to see their full product line. You know, you were active in sports. You were, you were actually competitive back then. This is something that, that I find uh, with, with most people that I speak to at the moment that are in this industry. I think a lot of people came from sports. A lot of people were already competitive. There's always a very competitive nature when it comes to people that, that actually move on into esports. Yeah, uh, And I think you need to be competitive because there is a... Well, f- first, firstly, you need to um, be able to... You, you need to understand that feeling, Right, of of winning. Of winning something. You, you, need, the need, to, com- you need the competitive you need drive. You need the competitive
0: Ex- drive, I think, yeah.
1: You need to understand why it feels good to win mm-hmm. and why players want to win to be able to appreciate the craft.
0: I agree. I actually recently did a podcast where I talked to Brolan from Fnatic. I I, I guess you know Brolan, he's a Swedish, very young CSGO player. Yep. Date no, he's Swe- he's Swedish, yeah, he's Swedish. I thought he might have been Danish, no, but he um he was playing competitively as a teenager in in a sport. I, I think it's a very Swedish sport. Um I can't remember what it was. It's like a it's like a sport that's quite specific to Sweden. Oh, I don't not it. not sure no it, 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 but, but it was something that i didn't recognize but he was a competitive sport player you know before mm. he moved on to esports and so i find that that story is very similar from esports you know esports pros they they all have had some kind of way to appreciate that competitive drive in their life you know and so they they all understand what it what it takes to be a top tier athlete in the industry and they all have that drive to win which is which is important for sure
1: so what what else was going on in your life uh, before you before you became a, an an esports professional I guess. You you actually have a degree, right?
0: Yeah, I went to university. I studied medicine and did an extra degree in biomedical sciences. So I had came up with two two degrees. And yeah, just just didn't like it. I found about the age of 20, 21 I decided that actually medicine wasn't for me just because I mean I, I, I don't want to go into the whole history of why <laughs> because it's just a long story, but essentially the TLDR is not why not what I thought I wanted to do when i was 16 because i applied when i was 16 so i mm. the the change that i underwent as a person from 16 to 21 was enough for me to realize that medicine was not the, the, the career path that i wanted to go and so i was basically doing part-time commentary during university and i was just very lucky that once i left university a company called super even megacorp who produced a mobile game called vainglory wanted to use me as a commentator for their esports scene and offered me a, mm. a kind of a uh a deal that had some longevity to it, which allowed me to go full-time when I left university.
1: Got it. And how did you first get started with commentary? What well, was, was kind of your first gig? Uh,
0: the National University Esports League. So I was doing it um, through the Newell and I was commentating on varsity matches and, and 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 sort of university versus university matches for free. I then worked with a company called EGL. I don't even know if they still exist. But I was working with the Europe Gaming League. I think they did—they do a lot of console stuff, but they were also just getting their toes in League of Legends at the time. Mm. And that's where I met Medic, who was one of my longtime casting partners, previously called Sona. Um, so we worked together for a very long time there. And we did a lot of free commentary for about two years. We did some commentary at some LAN events. Our first LAN event was Epic LAN, where they gave us free tickets. And we, we, we slept on the floor next to our PCs and did the commentary <laughs> there. And then my first paid gig, was about two years into doing it as a part-time hobby, was iSeries. Um, I got 50 quid for the weekend to go, and I got a free ticket and free camping or whatever, but I got 50 quid for the weekend, and I went and turned up and commentated over League of Legends for Did 50 quid. you have quid. to pay for
1: your travel to get there, though? Uh, yeah. <laughs> How much was that? <sighs>
0: I think I've got a train, so I think it was like twenty, twenty-three quid from Sheffield. But yeah, yeah. I, think I'm, I think I think I think I made I think I made twenty quid for the weekend. But you know, that, that's what you had to go through. There the wasn't the money yep. when I started. You know, that was the that was kind of like esports was was like this niche hobby rather than what it is mm-hmm. now. So when I started, yeah. the twenty twenty quid, you were like, holy, holy crap! I'm getting paid twenty quid to to, to talk about my video game that I like. Great,
1: that's <laughs> so real I, money, not just ex- a
0: mouse pad. Exactly. I d- didn't get paid in my, my Dignitas mouse pads. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think uh, mm. it was very fun to get the opportunity to even just make some money. But it very quickly shot up from when I left university. It was crazy.
1: So so what what even got you into casting your first match? Do you remember that?
0: Yes. Yeah. Actually, that's a funny story. I used to be a, a competitive League of Legends player and I played in the, the, mm. the non-existent UK scene, which is basically going to UK tournaments. And I met these guys online playing League of Legends. We formed a team. We were all gold and platinum at the time, which in season one and season two was considered moderately decent in the UK, anyway. Obviously, not on a European level. And we went to Liverpool. We rented an apartment for the weekend in Liverpool, and we turned up to this 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 competition run by run by this random guy from a college who wanted to run a League of Legends competition. I think he was called Wayne. Yeah, he was called Wayne. And then I competed, and I, and I was a jungler. I got to the semifinals, and then we ended up coming up against this team that was made up of like good players. So we were like we were like okay players, but we came against guys, these guys who were good players, and they had this guy called Shaka, who was a like a notorious on the server at that point Shako and Lee Sin two trick player, and he just he just absolutely battered me. He was so much better than me, and uh, yeah, we lost in the semifinals. And so then I went over to the casting area and they just had this open casting desk and they were just like dude do you want to do you want to just have a go and so i was like "Ah, oh, screw it i'll just go and talk about the game because you know i'm no good at playing it apparently uh, and so i started i started talking about it and uh, and twitch chat at the time was basically like oh my god this guy's not awful and i was like wow that's like a compliment from twitch chat and so that's what <laughs> that's what i uh, that's what i decided or, or gave me my initial drive to sort of pursue that rather than playing
1: got it twitch chat telling you that you're not awful i mean that's a that's a pretty good kickstart i think a lot of people kind of have stumbled into into this commentary world not on purpose (laughs) i i find it's a it's it's very interesting to hear during your entire career of casting, especially you know going from this first match that you casted where Twitch Chat told you you're not awful to them getting your first full time paid gig, mm. was there ever a point, or maybe maybe even after that, was there a point where, you know, like a breaking point where you really felt, wow, like this was it, this was this was a really good cast. I'm I'm so much better now than I was before.
0: Honestly, not really. It's been such a gradual process. It's one of those things mm. where, like I said, like I said, when I went back and looked last year, I was so surprised at how bad I was when I started that yeah. I couldn't really identify where I had changed. But it, it just happened gradually over the time. So I, there wasn't really like a, a eureka moment. It was just a lot of hard work and a lot of hours. Obviously, resulted in in a success. And I think mm. that's that's really one of the main things that I always tell new commentators is that you don't just you don't just get good at this you know yes okay you could be naturally charismatic and you can be good on camera and those are good things those are things that sometimes you just can't teach but but you know you don't just naturally become amazing at this craft it's it is something that does take a bit of time and effort to get to where you want to be um and i you know i reflect back on those years and i think i just i have obviously just spent a lot of time <laughs> a lot of time doing this to to get to a point where i feel like i, think I can say i'm genuinely a you know a very good commentator
1: okay during that time um well i guess you're still improving today mm-hmm. uh based on based on that argument right but mm-hmm. uh, uh especially during your early days have you ever had uh, some kind of mentor or someone who uh helped you improve
0: it's really interesting because when i started there were very few people that were um i would say doing it to a point or at least to a point where they felt that they could mentor someone because um, mm-hmm. when I started, it was like super early on. It was very grassroots. There was, when I started, there was two play, two commentators in the UK that did League of Legends that were above me. They were called Stress and Pulse. They both went on to Riot and then subsequently left. But no one was ever at a point where they felt like they were going around mentoring people. I think the first time that I genuinely felt that I had a mentor was doing the first European Masters two years ago, where Quickshot took an active role in giving feedback and crafting, you know, and, and improving your craft. I think before Quickshot there was no one that I would ever turn around and say they specifically improved my craft. I, I think okay. Quickshot was the first person that I would say actively took that role. There was no one else that I think really did that. I did look up to some people, like Deficio for instance, in League of Legends when I was a color commentator. I looked up to uh, shocks as from a hosting perspective, but no one that took an active role as a mentor until Quickshot really stepped in into the European Masters two years ago. I think a lot of what I did was self improvement and natural progression, rather than being told what I needed to fix. And when I met Quickshot and 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 talked to him and had that that sort of active discussion about my my casting. Um, I I got a lot more direction. I think the last two years I've improved more than I ever have done in, in casting just because of that active um, mentoring that I got from Quickshot.
1: And uh, is there is there a key piece of advice that he's given you that, that stood out to you?
0: I think it's really difficult to say one piece of advice that's good for casting. Hmm. I, I don't think I've ever been given like a golden rule. There's never been a, a golden rule that has been uh, bestowed upon me to say this is what you should stick to but I think I'm so different to a lot of commentators because I do so many different games. Not as a host, as, just as a commentator as well, I do a lot of different games. A lot of advice is sometimes game-specific or, or stuff like that, whereas I've never really had that. The one thing that I think improved my craft the most, the one piece of advice that I, I still use to this day, is don't be afraid of silence. A lot of new commentators feel the need to talk consistently, and any dead air is considered bad, I definitely still fall into this trap sometimes, but I have to remind myself, one of the most important things is that sometimes silence is okay, and silence can actually even add or improve the overall feel of the broadcast in the right scenarios. So that's one of the, the key pieces of advice that that I still stick to and still think about when I'm casting you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis.
1: Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think that's something that a lot of people uh, should take to heart. Probably myself too. Is there... You know, given that you've done this for a long time now, maybe you're in the position to 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 hand out some advice, right? Uh, so, besides that, is there any other pieces of advice uh, that you would give to people that are trying to become commentators or maybe improve?
0: Yeah, and this is probably something that's a little bit less that you want to hear, but connections are incredibly important in our industry. Um, I think connections are important in every industry, but none more so than esports in my field. A lot of ways that I got work and a lot of the ways that I end up giving work to people is because I know them and I know what they're like as a commentator and I'm happy to recommend them. Mm. So it's all very well and good striking out on your own and just being like, I'm going to make it, I'm going to be the very best. But I think the the problem that you'll find is that a lot of gigs end up being, especially newer gigs or gigs that, that are probably less attractive to the top tier talent, they get handed down. And you often get pass me downs when you start out, like you know, um, oh hey, do you want to do this gig? Because I just don't really have the time, or the money's not worth it for me, or whatever. You know, and, and a lot of my friends have got into commentary because that's how I that's how I ended up started giving them gigs. I I, I couldn't do something or couldn't be bothered to do something because it didn't really, I didn't really feel like it was worth it, and I, I I gave it to them. And now some of those guys are um, are doing better than me, you know. In some instances, like for instance, Vedius, who is a commentator at the LEC he was doing some stuff for the National University League and then I remember Riot coming to me for a university collegiate event and they were like, I was hosting the desk and I had these two guys on the desk. They were both called Will. Um, sorry, no, they weren't both. <laughs> one, one was called Andy, one was called Will, right? But they couldn't remember, then. the guy couldn't remember which one their actual name was. So there was me, Andy, who's Vedius, and Will, who was a guy called Frozen Dawn. And we were doing this desk and, and this is from the New Live about five, four, five years ago. And I remember they, they came to me and they were like, Oh, Excoundrel, Do you want to commentate this collegiate event? And and oh, that guy that guy on the desk that was really good. Um, yeah, can we have him? That's the that's literally the only the only um, direction I got. So I, I assumed because I thought Andy was more knowledgeable. I assumed they meant Andy. So I just said, "Oh, Andy, like they want you to do this collegiate event." No one said anything, and we did the event, and I was like, oh, "Cool, that that went fine. That was really good." Um, Andy then obviously went on to do LEC, and he's now the prime caster in the LEC. So Vedius is obviously doing incredibly well. But then I remember I remember about six months later, um, Draggles, who was the guy who was doing that event at the time, he, he now works as the, I think he's the PR lead or the, the communications lead for Riot Games in, in LA now. But he mm-hmm. said to me, oh, by the way, you know when you got Vedius in to do that event? Yeah, I didn't mean Vedius, I meant Will. <laughs> when, when he was saying, so I accidentally gave Andy this gig, which I wouldn't say it... it gifted him his career but it was obviously a way for him to get into the eyes of raya and it was definitely something that helped kickstart his passion i think for commentary as well so he ended up then going on to the lec when you know in some alternate universe if i'd actually selected the commentator that they wanted at the time it could have been frozen dawn doing the lec you never know um so it's really interesting to think about it but yeah i think connections are really important um Mm -hmm. and i would thoroughly recommend that you follow and try and engage with commentators that you that you want to learn from or want to want to talk or or want to um you know find a connection with um ask them to review your vods or review sections of your casting a lot of them are very happy to do so especially if you don't throw them a 40 minute video and say review this uh, you know, I I think that's one of the best ways to to try and get your foot in the door. Or if you're at events and commentators are there, even if they're not like huge, just go and go and talk to them and say, "Look, I really love what you do. Can you give me give me any mm-hmm. tips? Could you know is there any way that I could get you to review what I what I've done and, and just find your way in from that? Because as soon as they've reviewed what you've done, and if you're good, or if they've noticed improvement, they'll say, "I can recommend this person now because I know what they're like. I know what their commentary's like," and that mm-hmm. that's important.
1: For you personally, do you think? There was a key driver to your success and and what do you think that was
0: i think i so Vedius actually returned the favor for me when i left university he was leaving vainglory to go to riot games to work on the eu lcs and he said to me do you want to go and do vainglory because it's a really good gig there's a lot of transferable knowledge from league of legends and they'd be interested so i was like yeah fine and then Vainglory ended up being two years of my career which I I was able to go to many different countries get lots of live event experience that was definitely a a turning point and a, and a a career defining moment for me was was being given the Vainglory stuff because that that allowed me to get so much experience and also allowed me to develop as a leader. I ended up becoming a leader in the talent field for that for that game and would do a lot of the leadership stuff required at events like storyline meetings and and giving advice and feedback and selecting casting pairs and and I became a very respected Vainglory caster. So that was a really 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 important two years of my life when I just left university and, it, and it's mostly down to Andy who I'd previously given that collegiate gig to, which maybe kickstarted his League of Legends casting career, he gave mm-hmm. me the Vainglory contact, which was really important. So
1: so the key takeaway then is uh, is sort of uh, be be supportive to others and uh, and they might be supportive back, right? And, and foster yeah. your connections.
0: But also, I think also importantly is that I obviously was from League of Legends, but ended up casting Vainglory. There are two ways of looking at casting. You can go bullheaded at the one game that you want to succeed in. Dota, League of Legends, CSGO, the bigger it is, the harder it will be to succeed, because there are already so many established commentators in those games mm-hmm. that to, to be able to get, you know, some kind of edge over those guys will, will be difficult. Um but also just be you know be willing to be flexible and, and work on games that you maybe wouldn't have previously seen yourself working on because it's a good way to get experience and 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 mm. grow from there
1: that makes sense so looking at you today and uh, and your skill set today what would you say is the biggest or the key value that you bring to an event or a broadcast
0: that's re- it's really tough because I, I I find it difficult to sum myself up i i am very i'm a very flexible commentator so i have hosted i have play-by-played and i have color casted in various games at their highest level of competition in my career and that's been across multiple games i'm quite i'm I'm a very versatile commentator i feel i feel like i'm Hmm. i've got a lot of things that i can bring but also i'm very adaptable as a desk host i feel like i am fun engaging um I I I kind of modeled my desk coasting a little bit off Machine. I feel like I am a slightly posher, <laughs> slightly maybe more straight cut version of Machine, but I like to bring Machine esque elements to my desk coasting style. Um, I'm a big Machine fan. I am a big Machine fan. the The guy is an absolute dude like Machine. Like, like, I'm just I was about he to is. say the guy's an absolute Machine, but he's uh, he's amazing. He is. He is a Machine. yes he's one he's one of the best commentators one of the best desk hosts um in the industry and i i've learned a lot and really 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 look up to machine um i haven't had much interaction with him because i've never really i i've kind of only worked a few gigs with him in the past uh, and i haven't Mm. spoken to him much in the last three years but he's he's someone that i hugely look up to in desk hosting and i if i could be a sliver of what he is as a desk host i would be happy with with where my career has gone so i think machines is is definitely where i try to model some of my hosting off. But other than that, I, you know, I, I think I'm, the versatility that I offer is important, and and also, I, like I said, I'm I'm a, I'm a leader. I'm not afraid to take feedback and give feedback. Mm. I think I'm quite easy to work with in a team. I'm not controversial. Don't get me wrong, people people like Thorin have their place in broadcasts. I think, but I'm not like a Thorin, you know, where some people would be scared to to want to work with him because of controversial mm. reasons, right? I am a bit more, I guess, um, straight cut, you know, straight, a bit more straight laced and and not as controversial that's also important you know when i'm when you have to when you have to be as versatile as i do and work with so many tos and and companies as i do you can't afford to be controversial
1: that that probably adds a lot to your uh to your pool of available gigs too right yeah Um, no absolutely
0: like i said i think thorin has his place in in esports events and i think he adds mm. a certain um, uniqueness to a broadcast that can't really be found, found anywhere else and it's not just Thorin there are other people that, that function in that same kind of capacity right but um, Thorin I guess is just the most obvious example when it comes to CSGO you know yeah. and and he obviously knows where his brand lies that you know he's built his he's built his career on this almost kind of controversial figure and that has worked for him and I, I, I applaud him you know for making it work for him because it's not something that everybody can do and it's not something that I could do <laughs> it's because it's just not it's just not what I'm like. For me to be as attractive as possible, I've had to remain fairly, um, fairly, I guess, bland in terms of online presence personality. But, you know, other than that, not much else.
1: I have one more question regarding your, uh, your commentary or you at, in broadcasts in general, I guess, uh, which is, is there anything that you do in preparation for events? And do you have any type of routine, some tradition that you go through before you, you get on a broadcast?
0: This is funny because a lot of people ask this question. Apart from prepping, you know, to the appropriate level, knowing the teams, knowing the players, the history, and having all the, the relevant storyline information needed, I don't really do anything crazy for events. In terms of vocal warm-ups, there is a specific YouTube video that I use, and essentially it's an incremental speed increase of the Rap God um, verse from, uh, you know, the really, really fast Rap God verse from Eminem's Rap God. Um mm that's the way that i learned that from Quickshot, and that's now what i use to to vocal warm up and uh, basically just go through go through the incremental speed increase of the samalama dumalama you know that thing i can never remember yep. the lyrics i always have to read them every time i do it but yeah um i use that as a way to vocal warm up uh during sort of especially live events. I don't do as much when I'm working from home, but live events I definitely do that much more often. But other than that, no, make sure I'm fully prepped with storyline information. I have I've aligned with my co-commentators on where my storylines and, and et cetera should be going. Uh, and then it just, just comes down to a bit of vocal warm up.
1: What about uh, what about during the broadcast? Is there anything special there? I remember um, I remember in the past working uh, working with Tasteless and Artosis back in the StarCraft two days. And one of the things that they always needed was they always needed a, a kettle running next to their desk, essentially, to always have hot water at hand.
0: I always need water of some sort. Uh, hmm. I like to stand and I like the lights turned off. So if I can have the lights turned off when I'm casting and I can stand and I have water, I'm I'm good.
1: Okay, so, so the, the lights that they put on basically the spotlights that they put on when they put you on camera you want those off yes, uh, during it's... the actual match okay yeah, I,
0: I find them distracting and i find bright mm. lights make me lose my train of thought so it's easier for me if i don't have them on so i just ask for the spotlights to go off especially on studio that broadcasts
1: sense. that makes a lot of sense and i think i've seen a lot of a lot of times i've seen active casting desks with the lights off and i never really thought about that
0: yeah it's the same a lot of people prefer it it's not just me it's not, it's not unique to me um, it's, mm. it's, it's very distracting to have bright lights not only does it hinder what you can see on screen um, as I'm sure most people who have bright lights around their computer screens are aware if you look into a bright light and try and keep your train of thought about something very specific it's actually really hard to do so so yeah I think um, I was just looking into my light there to see <laughs> to see how it would affect me but but yeah it, it's, it's, it can be very distracting so yeah we, we, we mostly ask to have them turned off
1: mm. that makes sense for you in the future do you have any clear idea of what would your next step is any any goals any dreams
0: i'd like to host the lec again but i'm that's a bit of a pipe dream because uh, quick i think quickshot has uh, you know bigger ideas and bigger brands that he wants to get in but i'd love to do it i think i'm i'm probably one of the best endemic league of legends hosts that that you know that, 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 that comes from inside the game that isn't there already you know like shocks for instance yep. um I'd love to do that. I want to get my YouTube channel up with Wild Rift, which is the League of Legends mobile game coming out later this year. That's my my goal for content. Currently, just cruising through TFT. Uh, I want to hit Challenger in TFT. I'm Master tier right now, so I want to hit Challenger in TFT. That'd be nice. I just yeah. hit silver. I'm terrible at the game. Well, you you honestly, it's very easy to climb <laughs> once, once you know. I don't think it takes much skill to get to Diamond at all. So I've, I've played less than ten hours though. So yeah, sure. Sense. Why. <laughs> I, I i think um i think i think once you know what you're doing and you're aware of the, the decisions that you need to make uh, i think it i think it's quite mm-hmm. easy to get to diamond i think it's a little bit more of a slog to get from diamond to master and i think the master to challenger is quite hard so
1: okay i think those are good goals i i like that uh that there's still some competitiveness in there you know you're still you're still playing games competitively to some to some extent
0: yeah, I mean, it's important for, for content creation, especially like there's no no one's going to mm-hmm. listen to me explain guides on TFT if I'm not a good rank. So that's True. that's that's why I did it. That's why I, I drove myself to get a good rank on TFT. And Master's a good rank. It, it's not as good as some of the players. Um, and I, I just don't have enough, like, you know, the hour rule. I don't have as no, enough hours in TFT to be <sighs> as good as some of the challenger players, especially with, you know, me having a baby who is 14 months. I can't sit and play TFT all day. Otherwise, my wife will literally tear my... Head off. Um <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think uh it's uh it's it's important. But I, I need to just put some more hours into it and I'll get there.
1: Okay. I have two more two more questions for you uh as we kind of wrap up the podcast. Sure. Uh, these are the fun questions that we we usually ask at the end. One of them is if you could choose between 5,000 concurrent viewers on your Twitch channel, on your personal mm-hmm. Twitch channel, and 50,000 concurrent viewers on uh, some brand's channel that isn't yours, which would you choose? And 5,000
0: 5, on my channel, absolutely hands down, because that's me building my own brand, which is more important.
1: Okay, it's a good answer. If you were given one tweet that's guaranteed to go viral, what would that tweet be?
0: Oh, well, that's a hard one. I wouldn't want it to be something meany because it would be a waste of an opportunity. Um I'd love a tweet to go viral from one of my YouTube videos that drives traffic from that tweet to my YouTube channel. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, business minded focus, but yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean that's that's totally fair enough. Um that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's it's very practical. Uh, I I would probably go with the memes and then regret it. So yeah, I, um, I feel like I
0: could do a meme tweet, but then that was that would be all it was, you know. It's just a meme.
1: There's some merit in that too.
0: Yeah, um. but yeah. <laughs> I, I, if you're a consistent viral mima, there's some credit to that.
1: Anyway, that's it for for my questions. I want to give you the chance here. Uh, You know, if there's anything that you want to tell our audience, if there's anything that you feel is important when it comes to uh, getting your feet wet or improving or getting into the industry as a whole that we didn't touch upon, um, I want to give you the floor.
0: Well, I think... um it's important if you're interested in esports as a whole that you are flexible you're willing to work outside your comfort zone you understand the barriers that are in place nothing is going to be handed to you on a silver platter it takes a lot of hard work to make this a full-time career but the number one piece of advice that i'm going to i tell a lot of people that ask me not everybody is going to make esports full-time so don't bank on it have a backup plan have something else in your life that you're passionate about or have something else in your life that can provide for you because very, very, very few people make esports full-time and a lot of people get upset and put themselves in bad life situations because they try and it's it's just not possible. I, I would recommend having it as a hobby and if that hobby at some point is lucky enough to, to to materialize into a full-time opportunity you're you're having a great time don't go into the esports with the mindset that this will be a full-time career because you're going to save yourself a lot of trouble and a lot of heartbreak by having some kind of other way to provide for yourself which is important
1: that makes sense and where can people find you
0: uh, Twitter, Xcoundrel. YouTube, Xcoundrel. Twitch, Xcoundrel. Instagram, Xcoundrel. Basically, Xcoundrel on everything. So uh, yeah, just 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 type Xcoundrel into any social media platform and I'll turn up. Perfect.
1: Well, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, it was a pleasure having you. Hopefully, I'll 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 get a chance to uh, you know play some Path of Exile with you soon. Yeah, please uh, that boost sort of me. thing. That'd be great. Teach me, how you and, make all uh, your,
0: teach me how you make all your exalts because <laughs> I can't. Mirrors. Mirrors, actually. <laughs> sure. Mirrors. Teach me how you make all your mirrors. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Cheers.
1: Thank you for listening to Esports Odyssey. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow Challenge Mode on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook where we announce all new episodes and share podcast-related news. You'll find all of our socials in the show notes. Feel free to email us at podcast at if you have any questions from this or any other episodes, or if you would like to learn more about Challenger Mode and what we do.